So therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also shall appear with him in glory. For as it's written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And this morning, as we take just a few seconds for spiritual preparation, we take uh, the time to privately and silently acknowledge any unconfessed sins to God. We're going to study that they have been paid. They have been resolved. And so we simply need to acknowledge them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have a grace procedure that doesn't require us to be meritorious, doesn't require us to be good enough to be saved. But, in fact, you have come to save the lost. And we're thankful, Father, that you have sent your Son, that your Son resolved this sin issue on the cross one time. There's no need for subsequent sacrifices. And because of that sacrifice, we have the opportunity for an eternal destiny, an eternal relationship with you. Help us to be focused on those things as we, we participate in the Lord's Supper. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the last three services, we have been studying the Passover. The Passover was a Jewish festival really was two festivals the first part which was conducted on an evening and night was the passover and then the next day on the 15th began a 7-day festival that was known as unleavened bread and as time wore on it became simply known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. They all knew what they meant when they said, we're celebrating Passover or we're celebrating the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because, generally speaking, the part of it that dominated the event was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because it was seven days. And we believe those seven days were the days that Israel was moving from Egypt to the Red Sea. So there's, if we understand our Old Testament history, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information that seems to orient us to what was happening historically. And the, uh, the feast represent that. But the Lord on the night before he was crucified changed the Passover. They were going through the Passover week it was going to be the last time that he was going to uh, eat the Passover meal with them. And he knew that there was going to be a change. And that change was, was going to be from a focus on Israel to a focus on the church. And so <clears throat> our Lord on the night before he was crucified decided that we are no longer going to be looking back towards the Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb. So, while they weren't looking back to the exodus from Egypt and that Passover lamb, they were going to be acknowledging, recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the new Passover lamb. And that's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Christ is our Passover lamb. He fulfilled the analogy. He was going to the cross to provide a substitutionary atonement for us as the Passover lamb had done 
back in Egypt. And this morning, we have two elements from the Passover meal. One is the cup. The cup of, it's a beverage, could be wine, could be juice, but it's a beverage. And it represents our Lord's blood, which in turn represents his spiritual death. And so we have his spiritual death on the cross. We also have the unblemished lamb represented. And the unblemished lamb is represented by unleavened bread. And our Lord Jesus Christ was, in fact, qualified to stand in for this unblemished lamb. What we would do if we were Jews during the uh, Exodus and during uh, time uh, subsequent to that is that we would find a lamb that was the most healthy lamb of the group. And you might say, gee, were they really required to take the very best one they had? Yes, they were. God had provided that lamb. And God would provide another lamb. And another one. And another one. And so, it wasn't a matter of looking to see maybe the runt of the group. Or the one that has a lame leg. Or one that had been maybe injured by a wild animal. Or maybe it was defective at birth. And we'd say, well... That's a lamb. No, no. It's one that was as perfect as possible. It had to be valuable, exceedingly valuable. And so we had this image of an unblemished lamb bringing it into the the home. And by the time we killed it, we butchered it, we slaughtered it, it probably was... uh, Barry had become endeared to the family. And so it was even more important, even more special. So we have the image of our Lord Jesus Christ in his sinless perfections. He goes to the cross. He's qualified to be our Savior, and he goes to the cross. And for three hours of darkness, which we have studied, and we're going to see it again here in just a few minutes, through three hours of darkness... He endures the sins of the entire world. Yes, those that have already been committed and those that we're going to commit. And so, what some don't understand is that every possible sin that could ever be committed and has ever been committed has been resolved. And so, there is no way after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you can ever lose your salvation. It's just impossible. You couldn't do anything to receive it. And you can do nothing to lose. You simply need to believe. And so this morning as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, sometimes called the Communion, We need to remember that that is what the elements represent. The elements represent our Lord's perfection going to the cross and then his efficacious grace, his effective efficacious death, his effective death upon the cross. And there's no need for you to be a member. The only thing you're required to be is a believer. And so as the ushers stand and are going to help me with the the Lord's Supper, will take, again, a few seconds for you to focus on what is important in silent prayer. This is our opportunity to continue our worship service. And this portion of our worship service gives us the opportunity to express our gratitude to the Father, something I was addressing just a minute ago. As God blessed Israel with livestock, you may remember, if they were obedient, God said that 
there would never be illness, never be any uh, barrenness, and those that the Lord did bless in that way had animals too numerous, almost too many for them to uh, to care for them. Now, that doesn't mean, oh goody, oh boy, you know, I'm going to be as obedient as I can so that I'll have more than I can possibly handle. No, that's not the attitude. The attitude is simply, thank you, Father, for providing. And because I love you and because I understand what you've done for me, I want to express my gratitude. And in the expression of your gratitude, then God blesses us. And God has blessed us, and we are very thankful that he has. And so this is our opportunity to give the very best that we have to him. And sometimes it's not a lot, and sometimes it's more. But it doesn't make any difference because it's really the attitude. And the attitude then keys what we give. And so let's take just a few seconds to bless this offering. Father, we're thankful that you have blessed us. And we're thankful that we have the word of God that allows us to grow, to grow spiritually. And understand that this is part of our worship. Help us to truly reciprocate in love as you have blessed us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are in the middle of a wonderful study. At least it was uh, very exciting and enjoyable for me. This is the Passover week. And what does the week mean to us? And I've tried to maybe breathe a little realism into this by trying to get us as close to our, what our Lord was doing during that week. And we've seen it from historical perspective, going back into Exodus 12, understanding that, yes, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Now, not everything is going to be identical to that, but many things are. Many things are. Starting off with the selection of the lamb, which occurred on the 10th. So, we believe that the triumphal entry was considered the, was the reflection of that, was the picture. Uh, the selection of the, uh, the Passover lamb was a picture of our Lord's selection as king coming into Jerusalem. Now, many of you, I think hopefully all of you, should have one of these Passover weeks countdown to Calvary. And we went through this. We went through these days, eight days. Last, last week, briefly, and then we went through it again today. And what, what I was trying to do again is to... And, one of the reasons we went through it again today is because it was different than last week. You know, it's kind of amazing as you know, some people study, they learn more. And the changes that I made to this, well, some of it represents maybe a little bit of style. But the other part of it is just that I realized that there needed to be some adjustments. So you have this uh, tool in front of you. And we see that the lamb was selected on Sunday the 10th. And that would not always fall on that day. Not necessarily. Uh, we see that on Wednesday at uh, sundown, we are going to begin the, the 14th. And from our study last service, we understand that the 14th was the day that the Passover lamb was going to be slain, slaughtered butchered. And so the 14th is an important day. We start on the 10th and then we go to the 14th. And that's precisely what happened on Passover, the Passover week, we believe. I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the specific uh, or the week, the timing within the week later on. But we're going to talk about the timing on these specific days because 
the Bible really does provide us with information. And if we understand historically what happened, we can use those pieces of information and then we can pick out what the gospel writers have told us and we can come fairly close to what may have happened. The first thing that we're going to do in our sort of search here is we're going to start on Wednesday for the timing of the Passover week. On Wednesday. And the, the time that we start is going to be in the evening. Now, we know that it was on the 14th that we are going to celebrate or we are going to kill the Passover lamb, which is going to end up being in the afternoon. So we have to talk a little bit about what happens early, what we may say in the morning or during the, the hours of darkness. Well, let's first of all go to point one here. First of all, the traditional Passover meal was eaten after sunset in accordance with Exodus 12.8. We're not going to go to Exodus 12.8. We saw Exodus 12.8. And we saw that it was eaten at night. So, how does that relate to what we're doing? We know that the timing on your handout on Wednesday that shows the 1900, and that's, I'm just using military time here, we could say 7, 7 p.m., this is at night, 7 p.m., our time. This is Western world or Roman modern uh, clock timing. And so we know that on the 14th, the Passover lamb really wasn't slain until we get to the afternoon. But our Lord begins His Passover. We see this in John and several other books. He begins it the night before. He tells His disciples when we're going to eat this meal. Let's turn to Matthew 26.20. So our first passage is going to be in Matthew. And we're going to spend some time going back and forth in the Gospels. Matthew 26, 20. Remember what I told you during the communion service. We'll start in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to Him, Where do you want us to prepare? Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover. Well, the first day of unleavened bread is really going to be Passover. It's going to be the 14th. So that's what's happening here. They're getting ready for the 14th. Then we see in verse 20, when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. Now as they were eating, he said, surely I say to you that one of you will betray me. So we see that it's in the evening. And this probably could have been sometime uh, before sunset. But we believe that this Greek word is telling us that it is after sunset. That this is subsequent to the end of the 13th and it's the beginning of the 14th. The beginning of the Passover day. And we are, in fact, we, what we believe is one day ahead of the actual Passover meal. And so, as I mentioned in the first service, we think we have probably two possibilities here. I mentioned a third last week, but after dwelling on it and thinking about it, I'm not so sure that that's the best option. So the first two options are, number one, the Lord just chose to eat this Passover meal early. Because as I said, He's going to be doing something else 12 hours from now, 24 hours from now. So he's going to be pretty busy. So he has the meal with his disciples early. 
The second possibility is, is that the Lord was not going to eat that Passover meal. So this is another meal. And those are the two options. I think the first one is probably closer. I think that he simply decides he's going to eat this Passover meal early. The other, pa- the other option that I mentioned last week was that it's possible that the Lord was on time and the rest of Israel was out of sync here. And I'm not so sure that is, that's been raised as a possibility, but I don't think that's as strong a possibility as Israel was on time. They were going to uh, properly celebrate the Passover, but the Lord wants to eat this meal with his disciples before he becomes the Passover lamb. Secondly, after the meal, Jesus and his disciples walk to the west slope of the Mount of Olives and enter the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see this in Matthew 26, 36. So, and on your your sheet, you'll see that I believe that the Passover meal, and I'm just choosing a time, was eaten sometime around 7 p.m. or 1900 using the 24-hour clock. So that's very early on the 14th. For us, in our Western time, we're going to say it's 7 p.m. at night. And then they go to the garden. And again, we're not told precisely when that is. So I'm choosing a time, trying to balance this part of the evening. And I'm going to say that it's around 9 p.m is when they go to the garden. I'm giving them that amount of time to take care of anything that needed to be done, whether it was the washing of the feet, uh, the Lord talking to them, the actual uh, meal, and then departing and going to the garden. And it wasn't a long walk. Uh, I'm not going to bring up the maps that I used last week, but we believe that it was uh, from one side of Jerusalem, walking by the, the uh, Temple Mount, and that was not far, and then down into the Kidron Valley and up onto the western slope of uh, the Mount of Olives to a garden, a garden that our Lord uh, enjoyed. He spent much time there. And so it wasn't that far. Matthew twenty six thirty six, Matthew twenty six thirty six says, Then Jesus came with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, and he began to sorrowful and and he and he became and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So here's our Lord coming to the garden. This is the night before the uh, crucifixion. He knows that just around the corner, literally around the corner, is his arrest, his trials, and then finally going to the cross. And I believe this is around 2100. And now, point three, for our next time, and all I'm trying to do now is walk us through this timing, and so you can see from Scripture, what we think may have happened. Point three is that Jesus is arrested in the garden later that night by a detachment of soldiers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And these were probably the guards that came from the Sanhedrin, the council. Before we go to John 8.3, what I would like to do is go... I, there was another passage I wanted to see here. Let's go to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. In Matthew twenty-six thirty-six, we saw that it was Gethsemane. But in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, it tells us that it was on the Mount of Olives. Coming out 
This is coming out from the upper room, coming out from Jerusalem. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. Why was he accustomed to going to the Mount of, to the Mount of Olives, going to the Garden of Gethsemane? Because that's where he spent a lot of time talking to his father. He spent a lot of time in prayer here and also teaching his disciples. Three, Jesus is arrested in the garden later that night by a detachment of soldiers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. John 18, verse 3. John 18, verse 3. So, when, uh, when is the arrest? Well, again, we don't know for certain. But we do believe these are sequential events. So once we start with the evening meal and then go to Gethsemane and then the arrest, we are going to continue this sequence that is really not going to stop. And we end up not having, almost not having enough time. But of course, I think there is enough time there. John 18, verse 1. When, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples, and again, this is leaving the, uh, the upper room, departing Jerusalem. He went out with his disciples, disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. <clears throat> Verse 2, probably a little bit of a parenthesis. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Just a little bit of a parenthesis that says, Judas knows where they're going. This was their habit. And so his betrayal is going to play on the routine of our Lord. Three, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests, so this is the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And so they're carrying lanterns and torches. So we know that it's dark. We know that it's night. Believe, according to your sheet, that this is probably somewhere around midnight. The Lord has, on several occasions, come back to the disciples and said, Can't you pray with me? They were asleep. Can't you pray with me? They're asleep. And he continues to pray. And we believe it's more than just a, oh, God, help. But he's actually engaged in uh, very solemn, sincere, and determined prayer. Four, Jesus is taken from the garden and he begins the first of a series of six trials. So he's arrested and he immediately is taken to the, we could say the retired high priest. It's going to be Annas. So Jesus is taken from the, the garden and he begins the first of a series of six trials. The next slide you've seen, but you probably have not seen the the passages of Scripture that go with it. So, we are now going to begin a series of six trials. So here we are, the six trials of Jesus. Jesus is going to endure six different hearings. There are going to be three with the Jewish authorities, and there's going to be three with the Gentile or the Roman authorities. So, I'm going to just give you... Well, no, I better give them to you one at a time. Otherwise, we'll get lost in the dust of battle. The first one is with Annas. And we're right here in John 18. So this is very simple for us. John 18, verse 12. If we look up at the, uh, the verse prior to that, or the two verses, we would see that the Lord Jesus is still in the garden. 10 and 11, he's in the garden. Get to 12, it says, Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, who is the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. This is sort of interesting. Let me get on with it, though. There's our first trial, Annas. Secondly, we have Caiaphas, John 18:24. So, when Annas is done with our Lord, he sends him to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. 
Caiaphas, John 18.24 says, Then Annas sent him, Jesus, bound to Caiaphas the high priest. This is our second Jewish trial. Third, we're going to see that he's going to be seen by the entire council, the Sanhedrin. We believe that he had sort of a a pre-trial audience with Caiaphas, obviously, Annas as well. And in Matthew 26, 59, Matthew 26, 59, and Matthew runs these, uh, some of these trials together. But in Matthew 26, 59, it says, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So here we have the trial in front of the council. Now we begin the Gentile or the Roman authorities. Pilate, our first Gentile hearing is in Matthew 27, 1 and 2. He's going to Pilate. When the Sanhedrin are finished with him, they want the death penalty. They cannot adjudicate the death penalty. So, in Matthew 27, verse 1, it says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. We can also see this in Luke 23, 5. In Luke 23, 5. We need to get back to Luke anyhow. Luke 23, 1 through 5. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying... We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he he himself is Christ and King. All right. That's the first trial with Pilate. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 is going to be our second hearing, our second trial, and that's with Herod. So Luke says in verse 6, Then Pilate heard of Galilee. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. Off we go to Herod. Well, Herod is not going to get a word out of him, and Herod isn't going to adjudicate him to death. So he has to come back. So Pilate will be the last person that he sees. We see at the end of verse 12, 23-12, that very day, well, excuse me, verse 11, Then Herod and his men of war treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. So now we're back with Pilate. Back to the the Romans. And we see this also in Luke 23, 59 through 62. I'm not going to read that passage. That is the exchange he has there. But we do have John 19, 16. John 19, 16 is our important time. And you'll see on your handout that we've gone from Annas at 1 o'clock, Caiaphas at 2 o'clock, the Sanhedrin at 3 o'clock, and this is all in the morning, Pilate at 4 o'clock, Herod at 5 o'clock, and then I've underlined and highlighted 6, the 6th trial occurring at 6 o'clock. And we are in... Uh, Luke, excuse me, John 19, John 19, verse, what I really wanted is 14 here. John 19, 14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? 
We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And so here we go, verse 17 then. We're on our way to Golgotha or to Calvary. So the six o'clock that we have here is cannot be a Jewish time. It has to be a Roman time. And that is six o'clock in the morning. So this six o'clock really is a standard upon which these other trials stand. We know that Pilate is the last judge. He's the last hearing officer. Because from him, he goes to be crucified. Now, let's continue here. According to John 19.14, it was about sunrise, 6 a.m. Roman time, when Pilate released Jesus for crucifixion. Washes his hands of him, out he goes. So according to Pilate, according to John 19.16, it was about sunrise, 6 a.m. Roman time, when Pilate released Jesus for crucifixion. Six. Very important and great passages here that help us to understand what's happening. According to Mark 15, Mark 15, 25, Jesus was placed on the cross at the third hour. This is Jewish time. Third hour. That's going to be 9 a.m. Roman or modern time. So according to Mark 15.25, Jesus was placed on the cross at the third hour. Mark 15, verse 25 says, Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. He goes on the cross the third hour. That's where we get our next... De- Time, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock Jewish time, 9 o'clock our time. According to Mark 15, 33 through 34, stay right here in this same passage, darkness covers the land from 6 to 9 Jewish time or 12 to 3 p.m. Roman time. So, according to Mark 15, 33 through 34, darkness covers the land from... What we would say is noon to three. And that's found, again, in Mark 15, 33 through 34. Verse 33 says, Now when the sixth hour had come, There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So, we have this period of time. We know that darkness reigns from noon, 12 o'clock here, until 3. I'm calling it 1500. Now, 8. Soon after the three hours of darkness, when Jesus knew all things were accomplished, he gives up his spirit. And that's going to be in John 19.30. Soon after the three hours of darkness... Three hours, soon after the three hours of darkness, when Jesus knew all things were accomplished, he gives up his spirit. John 19.30. Now, just reading this in John 19. It says, after this, after this what? Well, we believe that it was very soon after the darkness lifts because he's not going to be able to talk to his mother or to his disciple if it's dark. And that's what happened in verse 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son. Son, John, behold your mother. 
So we believe the light has come back, and then it's after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Remember, he would not drink prior to this. Verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, again, we don't have a specific time when this happened. But it seems that very soon after his work of salvation on the cross is over, he dismisses his spirit. Now, 9. Jesus was taken down from the cross prior to sunset to ensure that he was in the grave prior to Sabbath. Luke 23, 54. Now, a lot of things need to happen prior to him getting to the grave. And that's why I give him from 1530, 330 in the afternoon to at least 1730 here, 530. One of the things that has to happen is the high priests come to Pilate and say, hey, we need to get these guys off the cross before we have the holiday of the Passover. So Pilate needs to send the centurion out to see if they're dead. Find out? Well, two of them aren't, one of them is. They come back and tell him, yes, they can be taken down. About that time, Joseph of Arimathea comes in and says, I'd like to have the bodies. So, he is then given the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and takes him down. Now, the distance between the cross and Pilate is not great, but there's going to be a passage of about four trips there. So it's probably not until about 1730 that he's taken off the cross and he's placed in a grave. Luke 23:54. Luke 23:54 says, That day was the preparation and the Sabbath grew near. What Sabbath? This is the Sabbath that's going to be the holy day. And we can talk about whether it's the Passover Sabbath or whether it's the uh, weekly Sabbath, but it's a Sabbath. And so he has to be in the grave before then. Ten, Jesus dies on the cross on 14 Nisan. He dies on the 14th day of the month in the afternoon at approximately the same time as the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb is being slaughtered in the afternoon. The Lord dies at approximately that time. It doesn't have to be the exact minute, but it may have been. Plus, if you've got all of Israel slaughtering lambs, it could probably be anywhere from about 3 in the afternoon to 6. So, Jesus dies on the 14th of Nisan in the afternoon at approximately the same time as the Passover lamb. 11. Jesus rose from the dead while it was still dark on the third day. So we jump from the end of the 14th, end of the 14th, all the way over to the 17th because now we need another time. Jesus rose from the dead while it was still dark on the third day. And this is John 11. John 20. What did I say? John 11. John 20, verse 1. John 20, verse 1. John 20, verse 1 says, Now the first day of the week... Now. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. So she goes to the tomb early while it's still dark. And then Acts. Acts 10.40. Acts 10.40. This is Peter teaching talking to Cornelius and his household. And he says, just to give you the information here, him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day. So, the third day 
from the crucifixion is going to be Sunday. Resurrection day. But he does it before sunup. We really don't need that part of the day in order for us to have three nights and three days. And I've marked those three day, three nights and three days for you. First day in the grave, first night in the grave. Second day in the grave, second night in the grave. Third day in the grave, third night in the grave. And he is resurrected on the seventh. He is resurrected the night, really, of the 17th. Our final point here, really, is a Thursday crucifixion satisfies the promise in Matthew 12:40 that Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights. Now, in closing, and just for fun, I was asked last time, how in the world is it that we have Good Friday? Why is Good Friday the traditional day of crucifixion? And you may have, I think I said this last time, if I didn't, I should have. We're not studying this so we can go out and tell somebody, (laughs) you guys are a bunch of doofuses. On Friday. Why? Because after extended research on this, remember we have to work with the Hebrew culture. Remember I said any part of a day to them could be a whole day. So we can use the last part of the the 14th as a full day. Well, as it turns out, the idiom, when we say three days and three nights, it's an idiom for three days. Doesn't have to be nights. And days, it simply has to be parts of days. Now, you're going to look at me and say, what are you saying? I'm saying that you can have 26 hours in the grave, have an hour of one day, 24 hours of another day, and an hour of another day. And Hebrew culture would say, that's three days. You say, oh, pastor, you just taught us all this. For two weeks, and now you're saying, could be. Well, I had to get up to this slowly because some of you are still having trouble with not being Wednesday. I don't know that that's necessarily what happened. But what I'm saying is several things. First of all, according to Hebrew culture, Three days could be Friday, Saturday, and then early Sunday. You say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it have to be after? No. What did Acts 10.40 say? On the third day. He only needs to be resurrected on the third day. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. What about my sheet of paper here? Shows Sunday the 10th, the 14th is Thursday. Well, if you move triumphal entry day to Monday, you have the same timing. It just comes on Friday. It just comes on Friday. And finally... 
the preponderance of church history. Church fathers, early church fathers, went with Friday. So you say, or you're looking at me and say, so you say, what do we have here? Well, I don't believe it's Wednesday. I think there's a strong possibility it could be Thursday. But Friday's got a very strong argument. So, could Friday be the day of the crucifixion? Yes, it could be. Yes, it could be. Based upon Jewish culture. As a matter of a fact, if you move the four-day sequence to Monday, then you don't have the problem with the Passover Sabbath. You have a regular weekly Sabbath. But all of this is a little bit cloudy because we're not really trying to worship the time or worship the day. We're worshiping what occurred. And that is that our Lord Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. He goes to the cross as our substitute, just like the Passover lamb was a substitute for those who would not die in Egypt. And the important thing here is for us to realize that historically this is being taught to us. And then we see it in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our Passover lamb. And he dies for us. We have been reconciled. God has been satisfied. We have been atoned. The payment has been made. And our Lord, whenever he was crucified is not in the tomb. He is risen. And that's what's important about this. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the evidence that we have provided for us by God the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Help us not to be upset or frustrated or confused. Help us to be grateful, thankful, blessed, by the sacrifice, Father, you made by sending your Son and providing us our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.